This week's podcast brought to you by Scheduled Enhancements. Well, we've just passed uh, uh, Easter. The week before that, we had a, a minor holiday, our anniversary. We did what we usually do and filed for an extension, as we do with our taxes, also in mid-April. Six it's, months from now, at a vague date to be determined later, we'll we'll celebrate our anniversary and perhaps exchange gifts. Sometime in October, yeah, right when I'm scrambling to get our taxes in, we'll uh, we'll figure out how to celebrate our anniversary. Also, with our accountant. <laughs> right. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Well, it was Easter this past Sunday, and we went to Easter Mass. And we got there early, knowing that the church would fill up quickly, and we wanted a seat. And it was jam-packed, as it always is on Easter. And my favorite part of Mass was right in my eyesight, right in my line of sight, I should say, completely across the church, a, I don't know how old the guy was, maybe late 20s, early 30s. He was at least standing alone. I don't know if he attended alone. He was leaning up against the wall. He didn't have a seat. And he was holding his coffee in his right hand. Sipping pensively from it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't exactly. He was too far away for me to see exactly how he was sipping, but he was sipping from it. And then in his other hand, only at times during the homily, um, when the priest was talking, he would pull his phone out of his pocket, start scrolling through for a minute or two, and then put it away. So I just thought, this is perfect. This guy is over there leaning against the wall with his coffee in one hand and uh, scrolling through his mentions, perhaps, uh, with his other hand. He ought to know that the etiquette of Mass, when you're completely tuning out, is is to uh, take your glasses off, in my case, put your face in your hands as if you're in deep meditation, uh, and doze off. Right. <laughs> well... The what made mass so long on our Easter Sunday was not, you know, a ridiculously long homily. It's not like Palm Sunday where you have really, really long readings. It's how much music there is. And in this particular mass, they um, they played every verse of every song. And uh, and the the choir is terrific. The I don't what would they be called? The contemporary um choir because they play guitar and acoustic guitar that that was the contemporary choir in 1970 right. well, i don't know what it is now but i mean they, they do a really nice job it's just it goes on and on and um this probably wasn't the way to set the tone for our family but at one point i said to our 14 year old um quietly in her ear i said what's longer this song or american pie and she just looked at me and smiled and then looked back away so <laughs> i don't know well, speaking of pie, let's get to the, the uh, Easter tradition of, of gorging ourselves on candy for, what, the next three weeks until we're out of chocolate eggs? I mean, you and I don't, I don't gorge myself on candy. We, we give the kids candy. Have you been gorging yourselves on, on yourselves yourself on candy? Well, it was myself, and now it is myself <laughs> after a week of Cadbury. Well, what do we have out? We have a, a candy dish with some jelly beans in it and a candy dish with what's in the other one cadbury eggs the kids don't like uh black jelly beans so they they leave them in the bowl now the bowl is reduced entirely to black jelly beans but they said when i confronted one of our kids about it they said oh we're saving those for mom mom loves those is that true do you like black jelly I do beans like or are they black like jelly beans it's so funny though because when i was a kid my mother loved the black jelly beans and i hated black jelly beans my sister and i hated them and then when we were kids we loved the bubblicious the the really fruity bubble gum and my mother didn't like that at all she only liked the mint gum and of course, you grow into that when you're an adult. I don't like, you know, fruity gum now, but I do like mint gum. I didn't like black jelly beans then. I do like them now. But f I know you were eating them because um, I saw you earlier. So feel free. That don't feel like you need to save the black jelly beans for well, mom. This came up at, at um, Easter dinner at our at your brother's house. And uh, some of us sat on the couch and watched uh, first the Celtics beat the Pacers and then 
the Bruins beat the Maple Leafs, and then in extra innings, the Red Sox beat the Rays. So that's I'd, what you guys are doing in that room, sitting there like low. Well, after we had gorged ourselves on on ham, yes, right. But it came up over dinner, and and Denny can feel free to take this out if you so uh, direct him to. But um, your mother taught CCD when you were a kid. I'd never heard this story about her before. I thought I'd heard them all, but. She filled in as CCD teacher. Was no, that right? she she was the CCD she teacher. She was the CCD. She teacher. wasn't my CCD teacher, but she was my brother's CCD teacher, and she was my sister's CCD teacher. I think like their sophomore and junior year in high school, and all the kids in CCD would be dropped off at our house. So Sunday nights, I would just go upstairs and watch TV while my mother was teaching CCD. But in addition to teaching those CCD classes, because she was also the health teacher at Granby Middle School and later at the high school, she also would go to all of the other CCD classes um, for sophomores and juniors in high school and do the talk to those classes. And, and what, what did my sister call it? She's, no, your mother called it. Oh, right. Your mother, Ruth Ann, called her talk Doctor- Dr. Ruth's traveling sex show yes dr ruth's traveling sex show oh but to be clear she only gave this talk to kids who were going through ccd which is in what is that even what does ccd even stand for but um when you're about to be confirmed in the catholic church so she would go and and do dr ruth's traveling sex show but um, self self self-described right and um but, but of course in the context of what the catholic um, church teaches and uh so anyway yeah she um <laughs> that was her side hustle <laughs> I, I think the first thing that the catholic church taught was was you call it dr ruth's traveling sex show <laughs> right. well it was it's funny because I, rachel my, my sister was saying how a couple of her friends in high school told her you know the own they never their parents never gave them the talk much they, to their relief yeah and and actually one of the friends who told my sister this wasn't catholic so she didn't hear dr ruth's traveling sex show just at some point who knows if she asked my mother a question about it or what but um but it's so funny because people who grew up in a family where the parents were reluctant to speak about such things that was not the case and my sister was also telling this horrific story which i won't recount completely but how we were all in the car my dad and my my dad was driving my mom was in the passenger seat my sister and my older brother and and me we were all in the car and uh, and my sister asked, Mom, what's, and I'm not going to say what it was, and, and my mother said, because this is how my mother was. My mother just answered the question honestly, at which point I think my sister said, ew, and my mom responded, well, you asked. So as we're driving along in our, our candy apple red GMC minivan or Astro van or whatever it was, fortunately... I'm the youngest, and I have no memory of this. But my sister swears I'm in the car, so it didn't. I was in the car, so it didn't. Uh, it didn't scar me too badly. <laughs> you, you. I sometimes think you were raised by hippies in uh, Marin County or something in 1968. Because, first of all, you talk about the cherry red. What what kind of car? Candy was it? apple red. Candy apple red. GMC, GMC minivan. Minivan. Well, but was it this was the, an Astrovan. The Astrovan, but this yeah. is the Astrovan that didn't have the bench seats had been removed. No, no, right? no. That this. But you Bef- had a van. Before the Astro van, we had a big green cargo van. And I remember when my parents went to buy it. And um, my parents did not buy a brand new car until I was well out of college. It was always, you know, we went, our new car was, of course, a used car. But anyway, they bought this big green um, cargo van that they then retrofitted with seats. It didn't even have seats. So there was just, you know, obviously it had the passenger seat and the driver's seat, but then they just had two bench seats bolted in to the back of the cargo van. But anyway, you, you were going somewhere. Well, no, this. no, that's, that's, that's interesting. And, well, and, and if you can picture that, that cargo van with the bench seats bolted in, and on the outside, the psychedelic logo of Dr. Ruth's Traveling right. Sex Show, it was quite, a, quite an image <laughs> that you That would presented. be quite the image. Well, my, my parents were both teachers. They were on a, uh, you know, their budget did not allow for them to get the... the, the <laughs> The brand new van that already had seats, <laughs> but well, we, uh, how much is it? Well, what if you take the seats out? Yeah. Well, we don't need the seat belts. Can we? Can we get a discount if we remove those two? So yes, yeah, so we went from the the um, the cargo van to the candle candy apple red minivan 
Astrovan, and that was the lap of luxury because it had seats that came with the car. I can just picture the salesman casing. And what do you plan to be hauling in this stuff? <laughs> Our children. <laughs> Seven feet, six four, and five eleven. You, you That's might want to. You might want to consider seats. <laughs> I don't know if my mother used in her traveling sex show this one book that she had. Uh, at, we, at the I, house. We're going to have to stop saying that phrase just because. It's, I know. It's been... Maybe Denny can like. No, no, no. He does out anything. or something. No, 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 no. But um. What we had at the house, a book, and I think I may have told this story before, is when my mom sat down to give me the the talk of the birds and the bees, and she pulled out this book, which I'm sure she used in health class, but like used in health class 15 years before. It was these pictures from the 70s, these like long-haired hippies and their bell bottoms. And <laughs> anyway, and, and fortunately on the inside of the book, it was illustrations, but on the outside of the book, the cover was like, so nothing. There was nothing about the cover that made you want to have this conversation with your mother, and um, which anyway, was the whole point, right? I just, but I just remember her sitting down and showing me the illustrations and 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 being mer- very matter of fact <laughs> with everything. So I don't know if she used that particular book or not when she did her show, uh, her show, <laughs> her talk. But um, it's an, it was enough to scare anyone away from even thinking about those things for many years. Well, just so this isn't all on me, last week. Since we last talked, we had Sam Farmer on last week, who was who was delightful, but we didn't talk about what had happened in our in our house uh, that week because the whole show was devoted to talking to Sam. And you were backing out the our minivan, which has seats. Came I, came. I like to think of it as my minivan. Your minivan, yes, yeah. That I let we, you drive sometimes. The seats came with it. They did. We're not uh, retro. We paid extra for the seat belts. Paid extra for the seat belts, and it's a good thing we did. Because I backed it into the garage door. I was leaving with the kids to bring them to school. So all the kids were in the car. And in my defense, and this is the only, and really this is indefensible, but I'm going to pretend like I can defend it. Our garage door was halfway up so the dog could come in and out of the garage because I think it was uh, spitting rain out. And anyway, somehow when I looked in my side mirror or one of the mirrors, I thought the garage door was all the way open until I put it in reverse and went back. Fortunately, you back out of a garage pretty slowly, and I just heard crunch. And I said, oh, no. And I pulled it back in. And the, the van is fine. The garage door can still go up and down, although it's a little bowed, would you say, at the bottom? It is. There's a gap between the bottom of the door and the actual concrete floor yeah. of the garage. And um, But the best part was, uh, you know, I went in, and I told you, and I went back in the car, and I'm bringing the kids to school. And our 12-year-old said, why did you tell dad? And I said, well, because I just did this and I, I had to tell dad. And she said, well, he didn't tell you and he went through the pothole. What? <laughs> so anyway, all the things that you do in the van that you try to keep from me, I uh, I at least shared that with you. The, the, and as I was looking at the garage door, maybe today or yesterday, I was laughing because even when it's all the way down, there's quite a gap between the bottom of the door and the pavement. I, I just think of when squirrels we, can run back. When, and forth well, when we it. first moved in here, and we've told the story I think before of how we had there were some mice in the house. Anyway, you got went out to the garage and you took that expanding foam and filled every little tiny penny-sized hole so that a mouse could not get in our garage and therefore could not travel from the garage to the basement. Well, now we have this gap where a relatively large rodent could get through and and there's nothing your expandable foam can do about that. No, we could we could have badgers easily fit in under the garage door. So, well, but I am I am uh, taking care of some of our other domestic uh, uh, to-do Tell me list about items those. here. Well, why don't I? Um, <laughs> toilet flappers. We've talked about our two toilets that require flappers we didn't know this term existed until a re, a, until a our viewer. toilets were continuously flushing and then we realized it was because the flappers were no longer functioning properly that our crappers needed flappers and and so i went yesterday to get uh, a three-pack of universal toilet flappers Fits you, you didn't brand. go to get a three-pack you just went to get we really only needed two toilet flappers well, you could buy two individually right. packaged or you could buy three for the price of two okay so i did that and i removed the old non-working flapper which was i mean it didn't take that long but i was i rolled up my sleeves and i got in that tank and i did it you were proud of yourself i was proud of you and i counted the links on the chain how long the chain had to be where it attached to the flushing mechanism 
as I like to call it, and uh, and then put the new chain on. And as I went to put the flapper down, as it were, I noticed that this universal toilet flapper didn't cover half the hole that it was required to cover to didn't work. Didn't recover half the hole. It didn't certainly didn't cover whole the hole. No, it certainly didn't. And uh, and so now I'm the proud owner of three pristine, brand new, utterly unusable toilet flappers. Which you can't return because it was a package of three that is now open. I did like today in, in the bathroom where you tried to put the new flapper. There's like a decorative, or not a decorative, but there's a shelf above the toilet, and it's got some pretty candles and some other things on it. And I, I did appreciate that you put the two, the package with the two unused flappers just sitting there on top of the candles. It well, adds a nice little charm when you say to, you, the, to the half bath. When you say you can't return it, if you go to one of these giant big box home improvement stores, I won't give any brand names, but there are two next to each other, two competitors next to each other where we go, some of the products, I would venture that a lot of the products have already been opened, including the first toilet flapper that I took off the spindle had been opened. And somebody obviously had taken it out, probably measured it up against their own one that they needed to replace, right. and then put it back in on the shelf. And and we've had... Uh, That's probably what you should have done. You should have removed one of the flappers, turned the toilet off, removed one of the flappers, and brought it with you. And then you would have known if you were getting the right size instead of getting three of the wrong size of something. But but when you put the old flapper back on, it's working again, right? That's what I, that's what I was leading to. Having removed the old flapper, put on the new non-working flapper, removed that and put on the old one again, it fixed the problem. So did because we have two toilets with this problem. So have you done that with the other toilet? I'm going too? to try that later. I was saving that. I, I needed something to look forward to after a day of uh, of you, toiling at my laptop. You and, needed and your it, man task. Yeah, my to man task. To. Thank you. Yes. But I will say, when I went to get the toilet flappers, I opened the garage door fully and backed out without incident. Well, if I remember correctly, at least we've lived in this house 16 years before, no, 15 years before I backed into the garage. How long did we live in the house before you had backed into the garage? We hadn't moved in yet. I, I backed the moving van, the rental truck, into the closed garage door. I was trying to get as close as I could so that we could carry our stuff in. So at least at least Same door. we lived here 16 years. And I have this in my defense. After the hailstorm of last spring, we need and have needed new garage doors. And we're planning to get new garage doors. Our insurance is covering the replacement of the garage doors. So at least we know that this isn't going to cost us anything. At least monetarily. It'll, it'll it cost me a little bit of my pride and, and cost me face in, in front of our kids because as we were driving to school that day too, our 12-year-old, because in the car were our 8, 10, and 12-year-olds, but not our 14-year-old. And our 12-year-old just looked at me and laughed and said, if we tell our big sister that somebody backed into the garage door, she'll never guess that it was you. She'll just assume it was dad. Well, our aforementioned wedding anniversary, it was our 16th. And, uh, and I think with each passing year, you become more like me. I, they say married couples start to resemble each other. And, and I don't mean this as a compliment, nor would you take I it as a compliment. I would never take it as but such. But you backed into the garage door the other day. And then last night, you said something that the kids would expect to hear from my mouth, but not from yours, which was, I believe you're toasting bread. And you said the handle for the toaster is now inside the toaster. It had fallen into the, it had come off and fallen into the toast slot. Am I Am I right here? Yeah, but the, it's not me becoming more like you. You broke the handle off of the toaster recently. And put you, it back on. I'm going to say in with quotation fingers, you fixed it and fixed it in a way that when I, when the toast popped up the other day, it came off and went into the actual toaster. So that's that's not on me at all. That's 100% on You're gonna you. You're going to say that with quotation fingers? With quotation fingers, Is that yes. punctua- punctuation terrorism? Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, be that as it may, the other day... Our eight-year-old said out of the blue, do you know what's a funny word? Oh, yeah. What was it? You don't remember? I don't remember. I do. And she was dead right. She said, you know what's a funny word? What? Tabernacle. Oh, right. And it's not like anyone had said the word tabernacle. She had been carrying this around in her her little eight-year-old brain for a little while. I'm sure they must have maybe been talking about it at school or something with, but she, with she's, Easter upcoming, but yeah. It has all of the hallmarks of a funny word. I mean, like uh, 1950s T 
TV comedy writer knack for discovering that funny word. It's like slobberknocker, tabernacle. And they always say, you know, K sounds are, are funny. I, I didn't know that. You you mentioned that the other day, and I had not heard that Yeah, before. yeah. That's why Bugs Bunny was always going on about Albuquerque and Rancho Cucamonga and Piscataway. All those uh, names that are ridiculous in Bugs Bunny cartoons are ridiculous because they have the, the cuss sound. And, you know, they they would use the same gags, not only in Bugs Bunny, but on other, you know, Sid Caesar or Dick Van Dyke, that kind of thing, uh, Ronkonkoma, Schenectady. And Keokuk, they always use those same towns, and they're funny because they have the cuss sound. And so when she says tabernacle is a funny word, it's it's funny because of the taber, and it's funny because of the knackle. Yeah, I think if you put knackle or knockle or knocker knuckle. in any word, it's going to be a little bit funnier than it, than the words that don't have those things. And speaking of words and the sound of words, there's a fascinating, just something fascinating that happened uh, maybe a week or two ago when we were out to eat with our kids. There was one table in the restaurant, was it four or five people sitting around it, and they were very, very animated in the conversation that they were having. And what was fascinating about it to me was that they were not speaking, they were signing. This was a group um, that was out to late lunch, early dinner, and a group of, I think, five or six deaf men and women, and they were having this animated conversation with one another using sign language. And it was fascinating to me because so often now, if you are at a restaurant, you look around at different tables, whether it's a group of people or just two people, they are often on their phones, not even conversing with one another, not looking at each other, and just engrossed in whatever's happening on their phone. And this was a group of people who you would think maybe texting would be an easier mode of communication, but no, they were having this, it seemed like, very lively conversation using sign language. And it just that, in contrast with what you normally see at restaurants now, was, was really fascinating. And I'm almost certain, it may just be my paranoia, but I'm almost certain that lively conversation was about our table. Right. With our kids who, our kids were, who were shooting the straw wrappers back and forth at each other. And spilling their empty cups, but still full of ice all over each other and bickering with one another. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's I don't know that I've ever seen that out, but especially nowadays, as I said, with um, with how little communication you see with groups of people, it was um, it was an interesting contrast to that. It's been a delightful couple of weeks since I've been home with no work really looming. You know, got home from the the Final Four two days later with the WNBA draft. And the WNBA season doesn't start until May 25th. That's when the games start. Teams aren't even in training camp. It's a glorious feeling for me these couple of weeks where even if I wanted to, there would be nothing I could be doing in terms of work. And so I've been trying to take care of all the tasks that that I've neglected over the course of the winter. And one of the, I had to call to get something fixed. And I called this company and there was a recording. Nobody answered the phone. It didn't give you, you know, press zero for an operator. And this was, this is what was delightful. But this was a major company that everybody would have heard of. Yes. Yes. And the part of the message was because of scheduled enhancements, our services are currently unavailable. Didn't give you an option to leave a message, didn't give you an option to speak to a human being. Because of scheduled enhancements, our service, our services are currently unavailable. So then I went on the website and to the area where you can type in um, or send a, an email or send a message, typed it all in, and then below it where the send button was, you couldn't click on it. It was not working. So they, they wanted to make sure that day or the next couple of days that uh, that no one could get in contact with them. And, and I wasn't calling them to tell them what a great job they were doing, by the way. I was calling because something wasn't working. And uh, and their scheduled enhancements made their services currently unavailable. That was my outgoing voicemail when I went in for my facelift. <laughs> because of scheduled enhancements, my services are no longer available. That would be perfect for anything. We should just record that. And when our kids ask for help with homework if they ask for you know it, did the laundry get done are their uniforms clean whatever we should just press a button and or i should just get that recording itself because of scheduled enhancements our services are currently unavailable i'm going to use that or i'm going to use what they announced on the seven train when our 14 year old and i were going to the mets game a couple of weeks ago and we got stuck under the east river for 20 25 minutes and that was 
due to a signal failure down the line, due to a signal malfunction down the line, we are experiencing a slight delay. Did they have an angry New York, New York accent or did you just muster that up? Because that's how, how this was sounding in your brain. No, it, that's exactly how it sounded. Okay. <laughs> in my brain and on the train uh, with my goat and on my boat. You're no Dr. Seuss. <laughs> well, this is completely um, off topic, as I like to go off topic. But uh, I follow on Instagram Ray Allen, um, a former great, a great former UConn basketball player, amazing NBA career. Everybody who knows basketball knows who Ray Allen is. Anyway, really, really good guy. I like Ray a lot. And he was on Instagram. He posted how he was at the New York Auto Show last week, and he was there. And Maserati had made him a custom automobile. And in the leather, like in the leather seats was his um, signature Ray. And uh, it was a beautiful car. But one of my girlfriends who also has five kids also saw this post from Ray. And so she, uh, she and I were having this text exchange about what our custom automobiles would look like. And we were saying, of course, mine would be a custom minivan of some sort. And, um, on hydraulics. Yeah, and she suggested having each kid's name etched in a minivan as their assigned seats. So instead of Ray being in the driver's seat, like each kid's name is etched in. She said there should be custom bags for the kids, gloves and helmets and bats and just how how absolutely absurd it would be for either of us. I, we have four kids, she has five. What our custom automobile would be. And anyway, we were having, we were having a lot of enjoyment with one another trying to figure out what that would be embroider the, the leather seats with uh crushed goldfish and <laughs> cheerios well those, those are all those are an uh, aftermarket item that come pretty much the first time you're driving and it may be a maybe a sensor something happens when you're about to back into your garage soccer magnet uh painted on right under the clear coat right so you don't have to adhere it yourself <laughs> Exactly. There's there's a lot of things that a a uh, a mom would get in her custom car that would not be part of the uh, the Maserati. Although that was a pretty spectacular looking automobile. Instead of the freezer trunk, you have a, a grocery bag kind of uh, a refrigerator trunk, I guess for for the for the iceberg lettuce. Yeah, or, or the spinach or the kale. The iceberg lettuce would be in in your in your version of it. But uh, but yeah, I, I think I think we should let uh, have. Women in particular, maybe men too, send in what would be, you know, the things that would most represent them if they had a their custom car. Not not the not how they see themselves, but how they actually are. Like maybe yours would have a special embroidered um, area for a package of three toilet flappers. I don't know, but uh, and on the outside in psychedelic paint, Doctor Beck's traveling snack show. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Just think of the, the, the distance between my parents' cargo van with the aftermarket seats, which, by the way, did not match the car. They matched the two seats matched each other. But the, the difference in the, the, the distance traveled between that and the custom Maserati. Well, we had Sam Farmer here last week, and we, as a result, we didn't get to any of our voluminous viewer mail. And I think we should do that this week, don't you, Beck? I, I absolutely think we should. I'm going to start with uh, with one that came in through Twitter, which our Twitter handle is at Ball and Chain Pod. This came in from Tanya, and she said, "This is a perfect debate for next week's podcast, which of course is this week's podcast." And it was a picture. I will retweet this, and it says, "How do you eat your chocolate bunny?" And then there's a percentage and some options. So 55% of people eat. The ears first, 20% snap off the head. I don't know what that says about you if you're snapping the head off your bunny. 10% of people break the chocolate bunny in half. 8% eat it feet first. And 7% eat tail first. So the overwhelming favorite is to eat the ears first at 55%. I, I need to see not necessarily the percentage of what people eat first, but what that says about you, what that says in your psychological profile, how you eat a chocolate bunny, what that says about you. Well, how do you eat your chocolate bunny reminds me of the question you always hear on airplanes. I don't drink coffee, so I'm unable to answer it, but I'm going to one of these days when they say, how do you 
how do you take your coffee? I always want to reply, orally. <laughs> but that's not even true. Because I don't take coffee. Right, exactly. But I, I think I may take one cup of coffee just so I can say that. Uh, hello, Stephen and Rebecca. This comes from Julie without an E, just an I. Uh, she writes, I was at the Final Four in Tampa, and unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to meet you, Rebecca. Before the semifinal game of Baylor and Oregon, I had gone to the restroom. My dad was waiting outside, and when I came out, he was like, we have to wait here. I gave him a puzzled look before he told me, I think Rebe Rebecca Lobo just went into the restroom. A few moments later, you came rushing out and walked very quickly back to what I presume was the pregame show setup. Do you not get to use a private restroom somewhere? By the way, I loved your dresses, but especially loved your sneakers you had on with them. Well, thank you. I'm glad you liked my dresses. I, I, a couple of years ago, and I've mentioned this before, I don't wear heels anymore when I'm calling basketball games. I only wear sneakers because I need to take care of my feet. <laughs> and anyway, yes, there we have a what was called a green room, which is where they were doing hair and makeup. It was a place in the bowels of the arena where, where we could kind of hang out. But that was on the opposite side of where I needed to be. So on this day, I w had... I think we had done the rehearsal for the game show down the um, rehearsal for the game down courtside, and I had to quickly get up to do the pregame show. And when I and there was no time for me to go to the green room to use the restroom. So anyway, I went up the stairs. I used the public restroom. There was no line. It was great. <laughs> I then rushed to the set, knowing that. I was going to go right from there to call a basketball game. It was going to be a long time before I could use the bathroom. So, yes, we do have a bathroom for us to use, but it was on the other side of the arena, and it made no sense. Do you prefer that those people waiting to meet you wait outside the bathroom? I have had multiple times people, if I've come out of the bathroom stall, and they um, will say hello and, sh and put their hands out to shake my hand, and I'll say, let me wash my hand first. <laughs> out of courtesy to them, right? But, um, yes, the bathroom is an interesting place to meet people. Let me emerge from the stall first. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, you're, you're not supposed to be climbing under the door while I'm still in here. <laughs> Rich writes, Hi, Stephen Rebecca, longtime fan of the podcast. I've read all of Steve's books and enjoyed reading his work in SI. I'd like to request a signed copy of Steve's new book, Knights in White Castle, as my prize for winning the Women's Tournament Challenge. If you could make that happen, it would be greatly appreciated. So we have the Women's Tournament Challenge co-champion, is Rich, Hoops Coach 1964 from Sussex, Wisconsin. So he's coming to claim his prize and telling me what it is. And Rich will make sure you get a signed copy of Knights in White Castle when it comes out on August 20th. Yeah, another reminder that it comes out August right. 20th. But Rich is the co-champion, as I say, because we had two. Dear Stephen Rebecca, greetings from Resident Quilter and the second winner of the NCAA Women's Bracket Challenge. This is Thelma, our resident quilter in Charleston, Illinois. Uh, she listens... Uh, while she sews most afternoons, hence the quilting name, her favorite thing about the podcast is she doesn't have to interrupt her sewing to skip through any sponsor segments. So thanks for that. Well, well I we guess... We certainly don't want to interrupt your sewing, so to skip through sponsor so segments. So if we get any lucrative, uh, really lucrative sponsorship offers, we'll have to turn them down. So Resident Quilter Thelma uh, isn't interrupted. I eagerly await my, quote, major award, so we'll have to get that to Thelma. Um, Steve, maybe you should have that article printed out, my big fat sports wedding that you wrote about Rebecca in 2003, the next time you fling dog poo across the dining room table. A gentle reminder to Rebecca that you're a keeper. So, Rebecca, you didn't, duly in, noted. In defense of you, you did not fling the dog poo across the kitchen table. You just had it perched on the shovel that you were hovering over the kitchen table that, yes, had our kitchen dinner on it. Rebecca and Steve, on a recent trip to Palo Alto, I had two experiences that you recently talked about on the podcast. First, I was taking an Uber from my hotel to a dinner, and my driver missed a turn three times. On the third time, she said to me, thank goodness for GPS. I agreed with her that, uh, thank goodness for GPS, and bit my tongue as I thought that I'm glad I'm not relying on her sense of direction, since she can't follow directions from her GPS. Secondly, in response to Rebecca's question about people drinking at the airport very early in the morning, my return flight to Tampa was leaving at 7 a.m., and I was connecting through L.A. The gentleman sitting in the seat in front of me drank three bourbon and Sprites on a 45-minute flight and then broke into a full-out seat dance routine. Sincerely, Chris, the 11th place resident bracketologist, men's division. Three drinks and on a 45-minute morning flight. Three uh, uh, vodka and sp bourbon and Sprites at 7 a.m. Yeah. Good for him. He wasn't uh, nursing a cat, so I guess... So there's that. That's preferable. Amy writes, 
Uh, Steve and Rebecca, Rebecca, great job covering the draft, the WNBA draft, and your daughters were great in the intro video. Could you provide some information that may be obvious to others, but I was curious about? Do you have any additional insights into the order players are drafted, or are you as surprised as anyone else? How does the WNBA decide who will intend attend the draft? I always assumed it was players being taken in the first round, but that was not the case. Do the teams do a pre-draft per se to know who to invite? Thanks again for the podcast. So there's a couple things that go into preparing for a draft. The first is, what do you think the team needs? Um, players that have retired, what what were they missing from the year before that would make them an elite level team? So you go in with that knowledge because you've covered the team. But then I like to talk to every coach or GM or some representative from each team to get an idea from them what they think their team needs are. Some coaches trust me and some will be very um, open and honest with the player that they are hoping is available for them to take. Others are not and just um, say, you know, there's going to be a group of players and and we're going to end up taking one of them. But, um, you know, if people are interested in in drafts, there's all kinds of different mock drafts um, leading up to a draft. I think there's three or four different WNBA mock drafts that you can take a look at. ESPN um, does one as well. And um, but the people at the league office, that's their job. They they talk to all the coaches and general managers and get a really good idea of which players are likely to go in the first round. And then they invite um, about 10 players who they have a great feeling will be gone within the first 14 picks. And um, they've gotten really good at that. So that I remember years ago, there was a really uncomfortable situation where a player was there think at the end of the second round maybe even at the beginning of the third round at one point she got up with tears in her eyes and left the room and the I think the WNBA has done a great job since that time making sure they know when players are going to go so that they don't have a similar situation happen. Lori writes uh, to ballandchainpod at gmail.com Oregon coaches attire I like the casual but respectful look of the coaching staff for Oregon Rebecca what's your reaction? I like that. I mean, most coaches... People don't know what, what we're talking right, about. Right. I'll explain. Most coaches wear suits and ties or dresses or even sports coats or sports shirts, whatever, on the sideline. The Oregon coaches wear like khakis and then a Oregon color and embroidered Oregon golf shirt. Usually it's the bright green um, or might be white or whatever color. So they are... And they all wear sneakers. And so it's a much more casual sideline much more casual sideline attire, um, but they're comfortable. They have men and women on the coaching staff, so and they all wear the casual look. So it's definitely more conducive to strutting up and down well, the sideline well, than like stiletto heels. That's what Lori says. My daughter was a manager for a D1 team and was required to wear a suit or dress or dress up for the games. I have never understood this thinking. It was minimal pay and doing dirty jobs. So I think she's a fan of the Well, yeah, because even like uh, UConn, for example, I'm sure other teams are this way too. The managers who, you know, are giving the players their towels, giving them water, whatever, they're all dressed up as well, sitting on the bench. So yeah, most teams have the coaches and managers and and trainers and everybody else all dressed up. Misunderstood names and oddly spelled names, a big topic on the podcast. Lori writes, I often spell my last name Ross, emphasize the SS so that it's not mistaken as Roth. We are currently dealing with a misunderstood name. My husband has the two first name name of Curtis Ross, which is often changed to Ross Curtis. But recently, our newspaper subscription was changed to Stone Curtis. We don't know why, but I'm guessing that someone said Curtis Ross, sounds like rocks, and then re- re- recorded it as Stone. Not rocks, but Stone Curtis. Our papers are now addressed to Stone Curtis. We're still trying to get it corrected. Well, I love the name Stone Curtis, and if there's ever a, a movie... Actually, if you next time you write a... Um a novel, put the name Stone Curtis Stone in there Curtis, because it's a great one. But awesome what's the person's... anchorman like? Remember Stone Phillips from yeah, NBC? Whatever. What happened to Square Stone Phillips? Square jawed, lantern chinned Stone Phillips. That's and he what had like Stone that Curtis. great deep voice. Great deep voice. And and I wouldn't change the newspaper subscription. I would change my name to Stone Curtis right. and leave the subscription. Well, I'm now that I'm all enthralled with the name Stone Curtis. Remind me, what's the actual name? Stone Phillips. No, what's oh. the actual name of the person who wrote it? Stone in? Curtis? Yes. Curtis Ross. <laughs> Curtis Ross, that's such a letdown now. Just f- for, from now on, in our house anyway, he will be only known as Stone Curtis. Could you call me Stone Curtis? <laughs> sure. Well, on the subject of names, let's stay on it. Hi, Rebecca and Steve. Love the podcast. I often listen with headphones while making dinner. Rebecca, your mom was ahead of her time with B as in boy when spelling Lobo over the phone. At a young age, I learned to give the spelling of my name, Siobhan, 
S-A-O-B, as in boy, H-A-N, and it still baffled people. More often than not, I had to say S as in Sam as well. I always dreaded the first day of school as attendance was taken, and the teacher got to my name, um, S. Smith, and the whole pronunciation explanation went on longer than it should have. Tell your daughter, we have a Siobhan, that it doesn't get any easier with age. When I have to give my name for a reservation or an order, I just say Murphy. It's not worth the hassle. There you go. Maybe Siobhan will go with her middle name, um, which is a little bit easier than her her first name. But I think there's it's there's a lot more people with Irish names. Like Maeve is a name you hear quite frequently. You hear Siobhan a little bit more than you used to. Well, so. we've certainly met all 50 Siobhans in the tri-state area. Yeah, for sure. Linda writes with a photograph of her ball and chain fridge magnet on her fridge. It's the only thing on her fridge. Got my swag from ball and chain. First thing I put up on my new apartment, at my new apartment on my fridge. Uh, thank you, Linda. I sent out a batch of swag last week. More requests came in, and I'll be certain to get Sam Farmer's mom, delightful mom, some slag as she as she requested through Sam. So, Rebecca and Steve, I was pleasantly surprised to go to my mailbox yesterday in a gloomy, rainy day and find an envelope from Happiness Lane. Thank you for the swag. Uh, this is from Margaret. She attaches a picture uh, of it with her Princeton uh, basketball cap. The cap is from Princeton's undefeated 2014-2015 women's basketball regular season. I was the captain of the Princeton basketball team in 1983. So, yes, I always do pull up for the Ivy League underdog school making the NCAA basketball tournaments. Thanks for delivering the swag, Steve. Hope you get the light bulbs in the garage changed soon. Well, Margaret, now I have to change the garage doors in the garage. (laughs) It's not that bad. Good evening, Restiva, writes Greg from St. Louis. I was watching some YouTube videos when I came across a strange video where Liberace was making a lasagna. I mean, (laughs) you had me at Liberace making a lasagna. Oh, no. He said something in the video that made sense. Quote, if you know how to read, you know how to cook. So my question for Steve is, you're an author. You're always talking about books you're reading. Why are you a lousy cook? It's true. When I when, when I made that, what was it, Hello Fresh or something like that uh, yes. kit, I followed the the directions and I made an unbelievably great steak and something else. And so, you did that once. You realized how easy it was, and you haven't done it again. So, uh, PSS, Greg writes after another PS. I am a Chelsea. I am Chelsea. STL on Twitter, Chelsea fan STL on Twitter, and I know it doesn't come up very often, but I would love to be the resident soccer fan. All the best, Greg from St. Louis. Well, Greg, considering your Twitter handle, I imagine you're a Chelsea supporter. And uh, wow, do we, we allow prefer, Chelsea support supporters. We do as our- prefer Arsenal in this house and have for the better part of 25 years. But Greg, you've got the resident soccer fan uh, tag, and I look forward to uh, debating this on uh, future Arsenal Chelsea matches. I'm gonna um. Do one from Twitter. This comes from Danielle. She said, my 14-year-old daughter was called for traveling all four times. She used her Eurostep. The ref was standing by me at halftime, and I asked why he called traveling. He said, she took an extra step, and this isn't the NBA. I thought you should say, this ain't Europe. Does this happen everywhere or just Minnesota? Well, I will say this. Most kids can't do a Eurostep right, and almost all youth referees don't know what a travel is or is not this is one thing i've noticed and it's not even just a euro step it is refs bad refs know two calls they know travel and they know when you've jumped over the line on a free throw and so they tend to call those a ton i can't tell you how many times i mean it happens at least once per youth basketball game usually more than that where a referee will call a travel and it's not even close to a travel and what when it makes me nuts is not even so much on the euro step as on like an up and under move in the post a kid will make a really good post move she'll have really good footwork and the ref won't realize that it was a good move and so he'll call a travel and it's especially frustrating when you've worked on a kid with a particular move and then they do it and then they get called for a travel so um so I feel your pain. Um, for me, it's 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 a post move, and for Danielle, it's when her fourteen year old gets called for um, traveling on a Euro step. But yeah, get get used to it. Yeah, traveling is what youth referees love to call, and then at a certain point, college, they stop calling it entirely. It's a very strange thing in basketball. You call for traveling constantly no, you, up to a certain until point. the pros. They in in the WNBA, they still call. It's really where it becomes egregious is in the NBA. This is from uh, uh, mid-April. Dr. Gary Siegel writes, wearing a red polo shirt to celebrate Tiger Woods' fantastic comeback. He really should have been a a mock turtleneck because Tiger was wearing the mock again. But Um, a mock short sleeve turtleneck. You mentioned so many times the phrase mock draft, and this week we have the NFL draft coming up, and and everybody's posting their mock drafts. And I I like, when I feel a mock draft, 
I put on a mock turtleneck. There you go. You're, you're nodding uh, in, in pain. You appear to be in pain. Yes, just, just uh, get Anyway, on Dr. It. Siegel's son, uh, Dr. by the way, during medical school in Augusta, my son owned a house within a mile of the main gate of Augusta National. We still rent it to medical students, but if any viewers would like to own a vacation home in Augusta, please let Dr. Siegel know. He includes a, a uh, adorable picture of his six-month-old granddaughter Miriam with uh, with Biscoff cookies from Delta Airlines smeared all over her face in her uh, in her carry-on seat that we used to have to carry on airplanes too. Remember those days? I do. And just to, just because you mentioned Biscoff cookies, Biscoff cookies make delicious ice cream. So if anybody out there is like me and they like to make homemade ice cream, make vanilla or coffee base to your ice cream and then add a bunch of cr- uh, Mashed up Biscoff cookies, absolutely delicious. Pamela with three A's. Hi, this is Pamela with three A's. P-A-M-A-L-A. I like it. I love it. Your latest pod that I listened to, you mentioned the question of what may be advertised with your podcast. The first thing that came to mind is space heaters in winter jackets, as you're always mentioning this chill in the area where you do the show. Uh, I'd like some swag, but but when you get to it, no hurry. So... We're in conflict now because Resident Quilter wants right. no ads. So if we have ads, we just have to have them at a place where she can put down her sewing and, and fast forward. This came in from Matt, and Matt um, just sent a picture, and that's all he needed to do. And it was a picture of old Dutch potato chips. Of course, my Lim- favorite. Limited edition Sloppy Joe flavor. Sloppy Joe flavor, old Dutch. Are they ripple chips? But they are ripple chips, yep. R-I-P-L? I don't know. It doesn't say. Oh yes, R.I.P. L. R.I.P. You've heard Old of Dutch. these? I've heard of these. This is this is the potato chip of my of my youth. Uh, Old Dutch with the, with the windmill ripple yeah. chips come in the twin pack P A K if I'm not mistaken, and uh, a twin pack of ripple chips. But I didn't know that they were sloppy Joe. So so that is nothing it's, is more well, in my wheelhouse than, than it's limited edition. The the picture of the windmill on the the bag um, now says 85 years. Um, R.I.P. L and Twin Pack is actually P A C K, but uh, um, I am guessing. I'm not certain, but I'm guessing these would not be a good ingredient to add to homemade ice cream. Well, it's my ambition, and it'll probably have to wait to retirement uh, to to visit all of the great potato chip bag monuments. Now, we we regularly visit the uh, the lighthouse at at uh, Nosset Light Beach on Cape Cod. That is the uh, model for the lighthouse on Cape Cod potato chips bags but if i could find and visit the old dutch windmill that would be an even greater thrill i've got another one that came in from jim um this is to twitter at ball and chain pod and jim said i was introduced to stan farmer from la times farmer via the podcast what a great set of stories maybe stingray afternoons can become a franchise like csi can we expect stingray afternoons los angeles on a bookshelf anytime soon so there's an idea for uh our friend Sam Dash Stan Farmer to uh, to write his own memoir as uh, I love it and, and Stingray it, Afternoons LA. While I grew up in Bloomington, dreaming of of visiting Southern California, Sam in Southern California was no doubt dreaming of visiting Bloomington, Minnesota. Hey guys, writes Josh in Wyoming. Uh, Rebecca, Lou's my youngest daughter's favorite player. After yesterday's draft, she asked where Lou was going to be playing on June twenty eighth, her eighth birthday. We looked, and they, I think Lou was drafted by Chicago, right? They play Seattle. Everyone in the house is a big Stewie fan, Gabby fan, Lou fan, and Sue Bird, obviously. Uh, Stewie, obviously, has since ruptured her Achilles, won't be there. I'm buying airline tickets and game tickets as we speak and taking all six of us for the weekend. Are you calling that game, Rebecca? What are the chances you and Holly Rowe will be there? Fingers crossed, June 28th in Seattle, Chicago versus Seattle. Will you be there, Rebecca? I will not be there. I'm doing a bunch of Seattle games, but only one in Seattle, and that's the opener on May 25th. So um, I'm sorry that I won't be there, but I'm sure it'll be a terrific game. Uh, Janice, grew, uh, now in Colorado, but she grew up in eastern Connecticut. Mom was a big UConn fan, as was she. And uh, until her death in 2011, she would send me articles about the Huskies from both the Hartford Current and the Willimantic Chronicle. She encloses photographs of those clippings, but she does not, to your everlasting relief, enclose the clippings. Uh, yesterday, as I was going through a drawer, I found a treasure trove of this UConn Husky newspaper magazine pieces attached the photo. Um... I want to thank you, Rebecca, for referencing all the very uniquely New England and Southern New England things in your podcast, A Slice of Home. 
I believe it was around Valentine's Day when you mentioned my favorite chocolate shop, Munson's, in Bolton, Connecticut. When I would fly home, the rental car would automatically stop there after it first stopped at Shady Glen in Manchester for a cheeseburger and milkshake. I'm not familiar with Shady Glen in Manchester. You, I've never brought I've, I've never brought you to Shady Glen in Manchester. We'll have to go there, but we have driven by the Munson's factory outlet. I, I once met a Shady Glen in Manchester. <laughs> there you go. Hi, Rebecca and Steve. On a drive, another one with a photographic accompaniment. Uh, on a drive last week to Iowa from Minnesota to do an author visit at an elementary school, I got caught up on my March episodes of Ball and Chain. Always entertaining, and I'm grateful I didn't entertain the bracket con- enter the bracket contest. Wait a minute. What does he mean or she mean by doing an author visit? You're... Well, she's. we're going to get to that. Okay. On a note about uh, Damaris Dantas wearing uh, 92 from a Minnesota Lynx, I want to share with you that the main character in my book series always wears the number 9 as a tribute to Title IX. The character doesn't wear the Roman numeral 9 because that would be odd. This also gives me a great opportunity to share the history lesson in all my school visits. Maybe adding children's books to the BNC Book Club is a thought. Did you know that less than 2% of children's books published each year have a female character who is physically active? I'm working on changing those stats. Last week, uh, Paige Beckers from Minnesota announced she would be heading to UConn, uh, best, what, junior in the nation? Yes. Patrick Royce at the Star Tribune reported she would be the first Minnesota play- player to play for Gino, but that isn't true. My former Brainerd High School teammate and friend, Sarah Northway, played with Rebecca when you won the championship at Target Center in Minneapolis. I don't have to tell this to you, Rebecca. Yeah, Sarah Northway joined our team my senior year, and we, we used to laugh because she would um, offer to reimburse us for, like, pizza she'd say you want me to write you a personal check and um all of us from the east coast would be like what is she talking about and it wasn't until i met you and married you that i realized that writing a personal check even for a small amount is a very minnesota thing well introduced to me by sarah north this is from shelly and she writes to to add to the connection Paige becker's mom is from brainerd as well and used to babysit sarah northway's little brother and sister that's all i have for fun facts but she shelly and her wife met you on a day you moderated a panel on a practice day during the WNBA All-Star Game last summer. And here's a photo of the three of you to jog your memory. No, I don't need my memory jogged. I absolutely remember meeting her. This was um, the day before, I think, the WNBA All-Star Game this past summer in uh, in Minneapolis. And yes, and she told me about her book series. So now I know why she was doing the author visit. Well, um, we just have a couple more here, but I want to get to them. Sherry, C-H-E-R-I, uh, for our... Um, writes that uh, she was listening to the episode she's 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 listened to all of the episodes and is now going back and listening to them as reruns all right <laughs> by choice We're, i like we've it. had enough episodes to be in syndication now i was listening to episode 23 again and this time found myself closely listening closely when you started discussing geritol uh the commercials tagline my wife i think i'll keep her Remember this? We talked of about this. Of course I remember this, yeah. Reminded me of another famous commercial from 1980. Do you remember the Anjoli perfume perfume commercial lyrics? I don't even have to read this. Of course I remember the Anjoli commercial lyrics, and Rebecca, you do as well. The lines that unfortunately have been stuck in my head ever since then, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and never, never, never let you forget you're a man, because I'm a woman. Anjoli. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. I, when you, you first said that, I didn't remember. But of course, I remember those absurd lyrics. My husband and I have been married for 29 years, and I can say our marriage is the exact opposite. He and I both bring home the bacon, but he is by far the best cook and fryer of said bacon. In fact, I applaud Steve for being bold about the challenges he faces as a cooking-impaired person, as I am exactly the same. For example, what exactly is meant by simmer until done? Until it's brown, crispy, bubbling? It's all rather confusing. Thank you, Steve, for standing up to all, for all of us who find cooking a challenge. And she encloses a link to the Geritol commercial that says uh, she became curious about the ingredients of Geritol because everybody seemed to use it in our parents' generation, not our parents, but grandparents of that generation. Uh, a quick review of the ingredient listing was very revealing as it contained about 12% alcohol when it was introduced <laughs> in the 1950s and it was extremely popular in the 70s, which explains so much about my childhood friend's parents. 12% alcohol. 12% alcohol. Well, well, yeah, that's all. That's the only ingredient you need to know to understand why it was so, so popular. This is from Sherry, our, our resident Oregon Ducks expert. So thank you, Sherry, for enlightening us on um, Geritol. This comes from Sean in, in Hagerstown, Maryland. And he writes a lot of nice things about the podcast, about uh, various books and things. And he says... Um, Rebecca, I've never been much of a women's basketball fan until this year where I've caught the bug after a stint coaching girls' high school basketball, which is often how it happens. But I have always thought of you as the face of the game that came to mind when women's basketball rose and employed and have enjoyed your ESPN work during this year's tourney. Uh, now, to my question for Rebecca. 
As I've aged and my kids have grown, I'm 50, my hobbies have become collecting defunct sports league items and getting autographs in person, usually for minor league baseball, as my town has a low A team. Of course, the Hagertown Suns of the Washington Nationals. Um, He's asking about autographs. Do you wonder why people uh, ask for them? Do you mind? Does it bother you that people sell your autographs? And if so, does it affect your signing at all with everyone? The general rule in the hobby is people with one or two items or just cards um, are collectors. The guys with multiple premium items are the dealers. I wonder in the larger markets where celebs are seen in public more often, they're asked more with their families, which I have mixed feelings on. On one hand, I'd be uncomfortable with intruding on family time, but I've always remembered Alan Page's quotes to Steve, paraphrasing a bit, it may be an inconvenient time for you, but for them, it could be the only time. Rebecca? Well, there's a lot of questions there. This this is how I feel about signing autographs. I do not mind ever signing autographs at all, with this one exception. And this has happened more and more recently. If, if somebody sends cards in the mail to our home address, I don't sign them because I don't know why I feel that to be sort of an intrusion on our on our home. I, it bothers me that people can just randomly find our address, so I won't sign those cards. A handshake in the stall in the ladies' room. <laughs> no problem. No problem. But anywhere else, I if people have stuff, I sign it. Sometimes if I'm at a... Um, this will happen at a WNBA game, walking in and out of a, like the tunnel area. If somebody has like six items, um, you might only sign two or three of them and then keep going. But um, for the most part, I'll sign whatever anybody asks me to sign. I, if somebody's reselling it, I don't care at all. Good for you if you can make money off of my signature. I don't care about that one bit. The only exception is when stuff is sent to my it's sent to our home. I I won't do it just because it's almost an acknowledgement that they have the correct home address and that bothers me. But I think most of those people think it think of it as a more polite, less intrusive way of asking for an autograph than if they were to confront you. Sure. And 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 we also have a separate mailing address that's a PO box and when I get stuff there I have no problem signing it. I don't know why for me personally there's a disconnect but there is. I feel it to be an intrusion and, and, and I think more than anything it bothers me that some random person could find our home address and send something there. Uh, Dr. Siegel uh, is having a bit of trouble getting my arms around the story of the woman who was nursing a cat on an airplane. <laughs> really, Dr. Siegel? <laughs> so, I think all of us have our, but, abandoned that immediately because we're, we're unwilling to let ourselves try to get our arms but around But the phrase it. he used, getting my arms around it, is, is, adds to the disturbing <laughs> nature of it. According to the clever and erudite Sam Farmer, when I next fly, I can only hope for a support cello in the next seat as opposed to a woman nursing a cat. I mean, I can't even I can't even hear that phrase without it being one of the funniest things ever. I mean, it's so unbelievably disturbing for the woman and the cat and the poor people around that witnessed it. It's just I will always always think of Sam as the man who told that story. <laughs> Nothing else. That will be his, no, nothing else. his contribution to society. I don't, know. I don't know what else Sam has done in his life anymore. I just know that he told me that story and put that visual into but my brain. But how great is it that Sam asked a flight attendant, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen on the plane? And she immediately replied, I was in the back and a lady was nursing her cat. Oh. We have to have a segment. We have to start having a flight attendants on with the regular segments. Well, the since, scene on the since two of our sisters-in-law are former flight attendants, we could at least start there. Absolutely. Uh, finally, dear Stephen Rebecca writes, Michael, greetings from Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic. I hope this finds you well. Here's an idea for the ultimate ball and chain swag, bobblehead dolls, but not the minimal desktop versions. That's correct. Six feet, four inch, life-sized, more or less, bobblehead fun. Steve, your bobblehead would be bedecked in jorts, and I'm silently correcting your grammar t-shirt, your croaky, your croaky monocle, and of course a skullet. Uh, there would be a red owl tattoo on one forearm and a hardware hank inked on the other. In your right hand would be that infamous NYC ham and cheese baguette you dropped and then consumed. In your left, the even more infamous puddle marinated Marquette chimichangas. Michael knows his this stuff here. This is pretty unbelievably great. He might have to change the jorts to uh, hobo pants, well, let's get but to other you. than that, he's... 100% accurate. All right, Rebecca, your hear. bobblehead would be sporting a Bring the Thunder and or Bouncy Castle t-shirt, some teal and purple swishy Reebok sweatpants, your fanny pack, double phone holsters, and of course your Olympic gold medal. Per the description on page 241 of the 34-ton bat, your heads would be rotund and cherub-cheeked with a permanent smile on each face. Honestly, life is too short not to have such tall fun, and really, can we deny Denny 
this ultimate side hustle. Methinks not. Enjoy the day, Michael in Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic. I love this. This is unbelievable. Know. Michael has been listening and paying attention and reading your books. And this is uh, like the crossword puzzles that we had, incorporating all of the catchphrases and in, in, in do themes. Do we have any swag in um, in the Dominican Republic? Because Michael absolutely needs to send in his address well, so you can send something. I don't to know him. if he's there on vacation or if he's there for. Well, wherever uh, you are, Michael, please send uh, please send in your address because we need to make sure. You you have some swag after that thoughtful and uh, well thought out idea. And the various swag requests that came in this week, we'll get those out in the next in the next week or so. And uh, I think all that's left for us to do is have Tom, Dick, and Harry play us out. Am I wrong? Tom, Dick, and Harry play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.